Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late, I was talking to Robert Kraft. That isn't the time for an airing of grievances. Pro football talk. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The end of football season. Ha, ha, ha. It never ends. Mike Florio is on Twitter at Pro Football Talk. Creator and editor-in-chief of Pro Football Talk is with us on the Score Hotline. It is presented by Circa Sports Illinois. Download the Circa Sports app today. Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Hello, Mike. Hey, what's up? How are you? Mike, we are really, really good. From what you've been able to figure out, was there a reunion between Kanye West and Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl? I, I don't I don't know. Brandon Marshall, the former receiver, not the former linebacker, made an interesting claim, and Kanye West denies it. I think it's a great story, the idea that, if it's true, Kanye purchased seats right in front of the suite where Taylor's I mean, it's just beautiful. It's brilliant. But apparently, it's been denied. And I know she's got a ton of power and influence. The idea that she could have gotten Kanye West actually kicked out of the seats he purchased and also out of the stadium... Probably even she doesn't have that kind of juice yet. It's just a funny visual when you think about it, the possibility that that even could have happened. And you flash back to the MTV awards from years and years ago. But it really just illustrates that this might have been the most famous and most Hollywood biggest event type of Super Bowl yet when it came to the corporation surrounding it, everything we discuss, the celebrity power the football game was incredibly secondary. Yeah, and then it all happened for the first time ever in Las Vegas, just a few years after the NFL vowed to never do any business with Sin City. It's just amazing how it's all come together. But I agree. This feels like the highest profile, most impactful, beyond the boundaries of a football field, Super Bowl we've ever seen. And the numbers supported $123.4 million. On average, watched the game and over 200 million for the first time tuned in and watched at least some portion of it. And I still wonder if 200 million watched at least some portion of the game. What in the hell were the other 140 million people in the country doing? Yeah, that's always the the great question, right? It's like five out of six dentists recommend this. Well, what happened to the sixth <laughs> dentist? But it it really was to me a uh, 
I think it was the cap or the icing on the cake of what we've seen in the NFL when it comes to the event business and how they've really married events and sports. I feel like it started with the draft. We saw it clearly amp up with the Super Bowl. And and you see the combine now is, is something else that's being reinvented as more of a convention, as we've talked about. They are, I think, setting the trend when it comes to how they're showing off these these events that we always took as our own as sports fans, but they're trying to get so many more people involved to make it a bigger deal. Well, and look, it's one thing to make the biggest events of the season even bigger, like they do with the Super Bowl. It's another thing to take these off-season, made-for-TV, show-about-nothing events and make them tentpole activities where we all gather and we all focus, and it's ultimately meaningless to winning football games, the draft, the combine. Now, free agency, that's another tentpole event that they've made into a thing. And I know it's all part of the building blocks to get your teams ready, but it's completely unrelated to the games. They know how to take the offseason and turn it into a thing. I mean, we're going to be in Indianapolis in two weeks. It starts moving quickly. Scouting combine, free agency, the draft, and offseason workouts, and it just goes and goes and goes. I was very pleased to see this uh, written up by Michael David Smith on your website today. I predicted this on Monday, and I was certain that this was going to happen, that Travis Kelsey called his actions definitely unacceptable. I can't get that fired up to the point where bumping coach and it's getting him off balance and stuff. He said if Reed had gone back at him, it would have been fair. He said, I deserve it. If he would have cold-cocked me in the face, I would have just ate it. I would have been like, let's effing go. So that is probably the most Travis Kelsey way of saying I'm sorry. But I'm glad that he did, and I'm not surprised. Yeah, it was clearly over the line. And his brother Jason in that New Heights podcast episode was holding him accountable for it. You can't do it. To his credit, though. Andy Reid didn't get upset. He didn't cut off his nose to spite his face. He didn't park Travis Kelsey on the sideline for the rest of the game. Remember Super Bowl 52 and nobody understood why Malcolm Butler, the Patriots cornerback, wasn't playing in the game. He apparently did something he shouldn't have done. We still don't know what it was. But there are moments that are appropriate for punishment and for accountability. You don't take action against somebody in the Super Bowl in a way that prevents your opportunity to win another one. And when you consider what a shootout that Eagles-Patriots game was, you could argue if Malcolm Butler had played in that game, maybe the Patriots win. And maybe Tom Brady has eight now instead of seven. And maybe the Patriots have seven instead of six. So by looking the other way, by letting it slide off his back, by allowing Travis Kelsey to process his frustration and get refocused for the second half of the game, that was one of the reasons why the Chiefs ended up winning. Mike, in your opinion, how far ahead is the combination of Mahomes and Reed to other coach-quarterback combinations in the league? It's not even close. And for Mahomes, the greatness comes from how he plays in single-elimination settings, how he plays when it's a clutch moment in a winner-go-home game, and how he has no qualms about grabbing the brass ring when it's right there. There have been some failures. He lost to Tom Brady in the 2018 AFC Championship. 
under the old overtime rules because the Patriots won the toss and scored a touchdown, and that was that. He lost in Super Bowl 55 when he had poor blocking, when he had a toe that needed to be surgically repaired, and when Tom Brady, when given the opportunity to go up in the first half more than 10-3, to like the 49ers had this past weekend, Brady was up 21-6 at the half, and that was that for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then up 21-3 at the half, or close to the end of the half against the Bengals, they got cute and they blew another chance to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they could be six for six in Super Bowl appearances. They could be six for six in Super Bowl wins. And this guy's only going to get better. And now they've got this mountain that they're two-thirds of the way to the top, first team ever to win three Super Bowls in a row. I think they're going to even be, be even better next year than they were this year. It's it's just all uh, so fun to think about when you consider how we all thought about them in the middle of the season. I also want to point out this. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I still, a couple days later, can't get over the fact that for, for all the praise I gave a coach like Kyle Shanahan, for example, that the rules were this discussed when... In the NFL practices, they they keep everybody from watching every tiny thing. And yet somehow the obvious was the gray area that might have bit them in the butt on this. What fascinates me is the difference between how the 49ers handled it and how the Chiefs handled it. Not just the standpoint of the 49ers decided we want the ball and the Chiefs decided we're going to kick. The Chiefs got the word out to the players. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give them the ball, and if they score a touchdown, we're going to drive down, and we're going to score a touchdown, and we're going to go for two. There's not going to be a sudden death. There's not going to be a third possession. That's what Kyle Shanahan claimed he wanted, and this was all predetermined by the analytics group within the 49ers. And this gets back to that whole issue of how much influence analytics personnel have with teams, and they have a lot. And I personally believe, even if he'll never admit this, even if he doesn't even realize it consciously, I think what Kyle Shanahan decided to do was run the risk of being criticized by us in the media and by others on the outside by going along with the analytics assessment and having it not work over defying the numbers that were crunched by the analytics crowd in the building and saying, we appreciate your effort, we appreciate your math, but I'm going to go ahead and kick here. I don't want Patrick Mahomes to have the ball second. I don't want to gift wrap for him a chance to go out and make his legend even stronger than it is. I think Kyle was concerned if he had gone against analytics and if it had failed, he'd have to worry about those folks chattering in the organization while Kyle's busting his butt to get ready for the next season. 
talking about him to Jed York, saying, well, I can't believe he didn't listen to us. We would have won the Super Bowl if he just listened to us. That's a very real dynamic in an organization. The coach worries about who's saying what to the owners. You don't want to give a, a big chunk of red meat to the analytics people to talk crap about you all offseason long. I think at some level that influenced him to go with what the analytics people said, even though I think you have to have a tweak in the formula for facing Patrick Mahomes. Any other quarterback, fine. When it's Patrick Mahomes, you don't want to give him that second possession after you've scored a field goal or a touchdown. I think it's even more simple, Mike. We are familiar with shortcuts here on coaching staffs in Chicago. And when you are not just the head coach, you are also the offensive coordinator. It seems like this might be a glaring example of when that might have bit you. Well, that's right, because there wasn't a whole lot of time spent talking to the team about it. There wasn't buy-in. That's the thing that impressed me about the Chiefs. You know, they have fun. They have players involved. Players suggest plays. Players know what's going on. So they have a neat plan for what's going to happen if we get to overtime in the Super Bowl. Here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to go for the win. We're not, we're, we, if we, get the, we want them to take the ball and we want them to shoot their shot. And then we're going to go do whatever we have to do to win the game. And that's what we're going to do. And everybody's on board with it. And they're all fired up by it. And they're all kind of looking forward to the possibility. So when it came, all the Chiefs players knew exactly what was going to happen. And the 49ers players were in the dark because it's almost like Shanahan treated it like a need to know type thing. The players don't need to know until it's time to start overtime. Another story on your site today about the XFL kickoff rule and whether or not it would have the votes to pass among owners, competition committee, else uh, anybody else making that decision. I always am interested in this because I want to know what's keeping the kickoff in the game. It's clearly vestigial. It is Everybody knows we now have an opening touchback, essentially. They don't want it because of injury issues. Why... Are there still enough votes to keep the kickoff as is or keep it at all? They can't come up with something better. And the way that it was explained to me, I get the impression that the football people don't want the XFL kickoff, but others in the organization. There's a lot of non-football people that make football decisions. They're the ones pushing for the XFL kickoff because it makes the kickoff return relevant. Again, for the first time in 58 Super Bowls, there wasn't a single kickoff return in the entire game and into overtime, not one. So it is a waste of time. It is basically, you know, just put the ball in the 25. The only problem is what do you do about onside kicks? But the way it is now, onside kicks are rarely recovered anyway. So I think unless they come up with something better that makes the kickoff return relevant again, at some point we're going to see the ball get spotted on the 25, and then under certain circumstances – A team that would be trying an onside kick has to convert a fourth and 15 play to retain possession. And that creates a whole host of potential unintended consequences as well. But that's the only way to simulate the ability of a team that's trailing by multiple scores to make it a game late. Mike, what's up with Brandon Ayuk in the Niners? Well, he's entering his fifth-year option. And he had some comments yesterday about what he's expecting and what may play out. And if they don't want to pay him, he's going to want to go elsewhere. And the 49ers want to try to keep him around. Here's the issue as it relates to receivers now. There are so many very good receivers who are coming out in the draft every year. It's almost like the running back position was. However, there are certain receivers that I think are above and beyond the average replacement receiver, whatever analytics term you want to use to say, why do we want to pay $25 million a year to this guy? We can go out and draft somebody 
who dollar for dollar is a much better value on a rookie wage scale contract in round one, round two, round three, whatever. So who are the receivers that truly justify 30 million or more per year? Does Brandon Ayuk fall into that category? Or do the 49ers say, hey, Brandon, we're just going to move on? And the question becomes, will he play under his fifth-year option or will he demand a trade to a team that will pay him? I feel like it could go either way right now, and a lot of it depends upon whether or not the 49ers want to step up and pay him. But I don't get the impression they want to set market rates for Brandon Ayuk. Okay, Mike, I just want to know, what is your big story that you're following or what's the one that has the most intrigue to you at this time now that the Super Bowl is over? What intrigues you the most? Well, I really want to know what the Vikings are going to do with Kirk Cousins because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. They have nothing they can do to keep him from hitting the market short of re-signing him. And the window is wide open now to re-sign him. And I interviewed him last week at the Super Bowl along with K.J. Osborne. They're both going to be free agents. Had a chance to talk to him a little bit afterward. Met his wife, Julie. Had a chance to talk to her a little bit. And I don't know what the Vikings really want to do. But if they are going to just sit back and wait and see what someone else offers and then say, we'll match it, that's going to be too late. He could end up in Atlanta. He could end up maybe in Pittsburgh. He could end up deciding, you know what? I'm sorry. I know you're going to be willing to pay me as much as another team will but you should have done it sooner. I think the Vikings are making a mistake by letting this play out the way they are if they truly want to keep it. What are you hearing, if anything, about the Bears, the quarterbacks, the anything already stirring around the combine of who's being scouted, who's on the radar? Because this city is, <laughs> Mike, any little crumb, the tiniest, tiniest speck of anything that feels like new information has everyone ravenous. Well, yeah, there was the report over the weekend that the Bears would want some sort of a historic haul if they move out of the number one overall pick. Now, a lot of it depends upon what other spot in round one this year they would get. If it's a flip-flop one and two with the commanders, presumably it takes less on top of that than going down to eight, nine, or ten. The one wild card in all this is what does Caleb Williams want? If he's the presumed number one overall pick, and for now, that's where all signs are pointing. If you're going to trade up into that spot, you better be damn sure he wants to play for you. And if he decides to exert any leverage over this situation, you know, if he goes to a new team other than the Bears, if the Bears are going to trade that pick, does he really want to go to that team having it give up all these picks that could help him have a competitive team around him. It gets back to something I said a couple of weeks ago. If Cliff Kingsbury's presence in Washington makes him want to go there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a trade. He can just make it clear to the Bears, I'm not going to sign with you. I'm not going to play for you. Go ahead and pick me. I'm not going to show up. I got enough money in the bank and I'll sit out. And then the Bears pivot to somebody else and the commanders get Caleb Williams without even having to trade for him. I think the things that might be happening behind the scenes that we might never know about, that's what's going to be fascinating moving forward. But do we know that, though, or is that pure speculation? Because everything that I hear is there is actually no hard evidence that he is at any point considering saying that to whoever would draft him. Well, the time hasn't come to say it. And what you want to ask yourself if you're Caleb Williams, how do you play this? Do you try to play it subtly? Or do you go public with it like Eli Manning did and John Elway did 20 years before him? You know, Robert Griffin III back in 2012 
wanted nothing to do with the Colts. Now, the Colts had Andrew Locke, but they wanted to do their due diligence between Andrew Locke and RG3. RG3 said, you know, they invited him to go for a private visit to Indianapolis. He didn't go. He didn't want to go there. He wanted to go to Washington. And it, it worked out. Now, could he have, if he was motivated to change the Colts' mind, could he have convinced them to take him instead of Locke? I don't know. But there are ways that a quarterback can send messages without having to be the bad guy. That's the problem. The fans have yet to understand and accept the ability of players, certain players, not all of them, but some, one or two every year to push back against this notion that it's an honor and a privilege to be drafted. I think there's a way to play it discreetly where you can scare the Bears off without having to embarrass them publicly. And again, that's something that would play out behind the scenes. And the first tangible evidence of it would be reports that, hey, you know what, now that the Bears are taking a closer look at the quarterbacks, they're smitten with Drake May or they're smitten with Jaden Daniels. And they decided Caleb Williams isn't the guy they thought he was going to be. I think that would be the first shred of evidence that they've been persuaded to back off from Caleb Williams. If the message to the Bears is, I don't want to go there. At, at this point, we don't know any of that. After we get to Indianapolis and go through the scouting combine, maybe we'll start to get some breadcrumbs we can piece together. Mike, thanks as always. We appreciate your time. Thanks. Have a great week. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.